Good morning, church. Hey, thanks for being here today, braving the storm and the, uh, the rain outside. It's so uh, much an honor to be with you this morning as we come together to look into God's Word, to see what the Spirit will lay on our hearts to celebrate that risen Savior together. Uh, it is an exciting thing to be a disciple of Christ, amen? I mean, I, I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I know that I see how He is working, how the Spirit is moving in you, uh, and it is a blessing to be associated with the family of God, to know that great things are happening in the world because of Jesus Christ and all He's done for us. We come together today to celebrate uh, that risen Savior and all that He is for us, so thanks for joining us on the journey and being an encouragement one to another uh, this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 in a little bit, so I hope you get your Bibles out and we'll turn with me there. Uh, we're going to start out in Luke chapter 7, though, and uh, all of those texts will be on the screen, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there. I know we've got some guests with us today. Thanks for joining us uh, this morning at Cross Point, and our hope is that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst as we've gathered around the table, as we have sung uh, praises to his name, as we'll look into the word here in just a moment. Uh, we would love to invite you into that story of hope to help us share that story with the world that we live in. Uh, if you're so apt to, to looking for a church family that's doing all that it can to lift God's name on high, we'd love for you to join us in that storytelling uh, moment. We start a brand new series today uh, called Love Like Jesus, and specifically we're talking about breaking bread today and uh, sharing one with another in the body of Christ. We're going to take a look at a story that we're going to be very familiar with uh, and hopefully shed some new light on it that we would better see how we can be the body of Christ right here on earth. Uh, and over the next, uh, uh, today and the next two weeks leading into Easter, we'll talk about stories from the upper room and the cross and make some application to our own lives of how we can learn and imitate love like Jesus has loved us as well. Uh, there's a story that comes out of uh, West Tennessee where my dad grew up, and there were a couple of guys who uh, were members of the church, and then they were kind of uh, made uh, deacons of the church, and they were both started out at the same time and wanted to do the best that they could, and uh, they enjoyed journeying together, fishing together, hanging out together. Now they were doing kind of church work together, serving together, uh, and so one looked at the other and he said, you know, we're on this journey together, we're family, we share in a lot of different things. If you had a million dollars, would you share some of that with me? And, and uh, he said, well, of course I would, John, I would be happy to do that. Uh, if you had a two Cadillacs. Would you share one of those with me? And he said, of course, John, you know I would do that. He said, if you had two prized hogs, would you share one of those with me? And he said, now, John, you know I've got two prized hogs. <laughs> we're willing to share the things we don't have, right, in life sometimes. But as the family of God, we're called to live life together, to share in those memories and the things that we possess, to journey together and give glory to God in that process. One of those things is that we do life together. We're going to unpack that in a little bit. But uh, Jesus did that with his followers as well. He was not only the son of God, but, but a regular guy as well. He sat around a table and he ate and drank with uh, those he came in touch with. You look at the book of Luke and there are 10 uh, meal stories in that context where Jesus is interacting with other people around a dinner table. It's very interesting how Jesus Christ lived out life much like you and I have done in our own life. There's a moment at the end of chapter 7 in Luke where John the Baptist sends his disciples to ask Jesus and Jesus' disciples, are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one, the one that we've been waiting for? And Jesus begins to explain what the general public, what the teachers of the law believe about John the Baptist and about himself. And in verse 33, he's 
He says that John the Baptist is kind of thought of as a, a wild man who lives in the desert. He, he doesn't really eat bread. He, he doesn't drink wine. And so the, the Pharisees were like, I'm not sure about that guy. Let's keep him over there. I'm not sure we want to be a part of his baptism. And then Jesus refers to how they think about who Jesus was, which gives us some insight into Jesus' own life. And in verse 34, the text reads, The Son of Man, which is another title for Jesus, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. In that one moment, Jesus reminds us that he's a regular guy who gathers around the table that he breaks bread with all that he comes in contact with, that he shares life and the journey together. He doesn't ostracize himself or isolate himself, but he's part of a community that does life together. And as we unpack that idea this morning, I want to first visit the last meal in that upper room. The disciples had prepared the Passover meal in an upper room, and this wasn't the first time they'd had the Passover together. It was a meal that was celebrated among Jews every single year. And so by count, this is probably the third time the disciples and Jesus have gathered together to celebrate this particular meal. But they had been doing it their entire life. Since they were born in their own home, every year the Passover meal was celebrated if you were a Jewish person. And there were lots of different things that had to happen over the course of this meal. Storytelling, they were reclined at a table and so they leaned forward on one arm with their feet away from the table and with the other hand is how they ate and drank. The table was set with the appropriate food for a Passover meal, roasted lamb, bitter herbs, lots of different things on the table to eat at certain points during the night, this meal would last anywhere from two, two and a half, three hours, depending on how the story was told. It was an intimate moment to be together around the table. Each person had four cups of watered wine that were drank at certain intervals within the storytelling moment. After that first cup was drank, the oldest one at the table would look to the father figure, the dad, the patriarch of the household, and he would ask the question, as in every household was asked, why is this night different than any other night? And the dad would begin to tell the story from creation through now of how God has lived and worked and journeyed with his people, protecting them, keeping them safe, providing for them, adopting them into his family. It was a a precious time to understand how God was with the Israelites in Egypt, how God led them out, all the the miracles that, that happened in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea and how they came across on dry land, their time of wandering in the wilderness and the multitude of miracles that happened during that 40 year period until finally arriving at the promised land. It was a beautiful time, a time of community, feeling like you were part of the story. And in all reality for Jews, that's exactly how it happened. What occurred to those folks in the past, actually around the table, they felt part of the story and it happened to them as well. No matter what time period that you lived in, you were part of the story. You felt how God had you as part of his community how he took care of you. And it's in this moment in time in the upper room where Jesus takes that Passover story, that, that unleavened bread that they ate because when they left Egypt, they hadn't, didn't have time for the bread to rise, and so it was, it was unleavened. 
talking about the lamb that was killed to be eaten, the wine that was being drank at the table. Jesus took those emblems in this moment of time at that last supper. This is the night that he is going to be arrested. And as he breaks that bread with that community of believers around the table, the folks who knew that he was the Son of God, the Messiah, as he breaks that bread, he, he changes the symbolism. He says, for hundreds of years you've thought of this meal in this context, but I want you to think about it differently from this point forward. As I break this bread, it symbolizes my broken body on the cross. And because of my broken body, yes, you're still in God's plan. You are protected. You are redeemed. You are adopted into the family of God. As we think about the lamb and the cup which we drink together, it now symbolizes my blood which is shed on the cross, which will be poured out for all of creation. And from this point forward, it's a reminder that, yes, you are adopted into the family of God. You're protected. You're redeemed. God cares about you. You journey in community now. We are part of an adopted family. We live life together. See, community ran deep around that table. We share in the joy of life and the pain of life. We share in the pain and the promise of life. Believers in that moment started a brand new community, a family. Someone who would live life differently than life had been lived before. In our very familiar text that we'll look at this morning is that of Luke's, Luke, or, I'm sorry, uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. The writer says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What we see here is probably the best snapshot of what the church is supposed to look like. Jesus broke bread with his disciples and we're shown how to love one another through the actions and life of Jesus. You can read through all of the Gospels and gather how we're to treat one another, interact with one another, live life together with one another. It was the ideal community where together in life, every day, we shared in the burden and pain of life and also the joy and the love of who it means to be found in Christ Jesus. And this didn't happen occasionally. This happened every day, all together. They did life together. They, they shared everything that they owned. And they met every day in what we would call their coffee shops, in the marketplace, in the temple, and in their homes. They broke bread together and ate dinner together in their homes but you think about that picture and you put it in our current context right now. 
as you and I are living. And some of us may say, I'm not sure that the church really looks like that much anymore. And there are some barriers, some speed bumps, if you will, that have happened throughout the course of time recently and in the very near past that have kind of created those moments that have made community difficult to achieve. On your handout on the back, the the fill in the blank, we're going to look at several of those quickly that remind us, and you're going to know what these are. We've covered them before. The first one would be air conditioning, especially in Texas, right? We need that. So glad to have that. But when we had air conditioning in our homes, we left the front porch and we moved inside. And there were the evenings when we might talk to our neighbors or people walking down the street, but now with air conditioning, we're inside. That becomes more difficult. And then we had houses that had the attached garage. There was a time when that part, the garage was an an exterior building that you parked your car and you walked out into the yard, into the house. And in the process, you may see a neighbor, you may see someone walking down the, the street and you could holler and talk and interact. And with the attached garage, eventually came the garage door opener. And now you can lift that door, you can go in without getting out of your car, shut the door, you don't have to see anybody. And for some of us, we're thinking, that is awesome. (laughs) You don't know my neighbor, Tim. We also began to fence in our yards so we wouldn't have to really interact maybe with our neighbor. And some of those yards have 10-foot fences. Along with that fenced yard, we also have gated communities. So if you're not exactly in my tax bracket, then I don't even want you near my house. And then we have voicemail on our cell phones. So we see somebody calling and we can just send it to voicemail and then I'll listen to that voicemail and then make a decision if I want to talk to this person or not. We have that ability to control the type of community that we create around ourselves. And the the next thing that has come along is buying online. The grocery store close to my house has home delivery of groceries. You can call and order your groceries and they'll bring them right to your front door. You don't even have to get out of the community. Yesterday we were down at the Walmart on Cooper and they've got an online purchase uh, program there where you can get online, buy what you need, you show up in your car, show your ID, they give you the bags and you drive away. Now for most of us, for Walmart, we would say, hey, that's a good thing. (laughs) I don't want to have to go into that place where there's about one million people every time I go. And then finally, social media has really interrupted the ability for us to have community one with another. So many of us walk around with our head down looking at our phone rather than putting that away and plugging in to the family that's around us, the opportunity for memories and community around us. And as we read that text in Acts chapter 2, if we're not careful, we may could rewrite that in our current culture and state of mind, and it might read like this, the new current version. The Christians were devoted to themselves and occasionally got to church when they had time. No one was filled with awe because there were no signs and wonders performed by believers Very few of the believers were together and they had almost nothing in common because they had no real time together. If they sold something, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. 
They ate on the run, kept to themselves, and were too rushed to enjoy one another or give praise to God. They claimed to love God, but they didn't really love each other, and they felt very empty and alone. As a result, most people in the community disliked them, and very few people were ever saved. Now, I understand there's a little bit of exaggeration in that version. But if we're not careful, we as the church will not look much different than the world around us. And we're called to be different, church. We're called to love one another and be interactive one with another, to encourage one another and be in one another's lives. So incredibly important. And this morning, I want us to open our minds and our hearts and explore maybe a new possibility for community, a newness, that as we break bread together, that we realize we do that because we love one another. We want to be with one another. And we love God in that process as well. The realization that you and I cannot do it alone. I need you in my life. I need your encouragement and your courage. I need you to walk beside me. And I'm hoping you feel that way about me too. Together is how we live life. That's how God's called us to live in community. And so as we talk about breaking bread, the image I want you to have in your mind is sharing Jesus. As we talk about breaking bread, I want the image for you to have to be sharing Jesus. So I'll say breaking bread and you say sharing Jesus. Breaking bread? There you go. We live in a world that highly values independence. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Make things happen on your own. You really don't need anybody else to make things happen. But if you are a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, you realize that we're called to an absolute direct opposite type of lifestyle. We are called to be dependent on one another and on God that I can't do it alone. I can't save myself. I need you in my life in order to function how God created me to function. I must live in community. I've got to take time out of my day to, to talk with you, to eat with you, to be with you. And you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus as well. It has to be your faith. It can't be your mom and dad's faith. It can't be your grandparents' faith. No, it's got to be your faith. You believing that as you break bread with others that you realize we're sharing Jesus together in our life. Some of, some of us might believe that, you know, if I just learn enough about the Bible, if I memorize enough text, that would get me into the relationship with Jesus Christ. That's really all I need to know. And while that is a part of the formula, equally important is relationship, community with one another, We're called to break bread together. Like Jesus broke bread with those that that he ran with. The folks around his table. Interacting in life together. You see, together is the best way that we experience Jesus Christ. Together. You see, we share the love of Jesus with others at church. In, In moments like today, although the weather is really hounding us, yet you are here because you know community is what being a part of the body is about. We can't do this alone. We need one another on on this moment in time. 
And being together on Sunday is the, sun, is the day that we come together to celebrate that empty tomb. The day that some folks were going to prepare a body for proper burial. And when they got there, the stone was rolled away. Jesus had risen. He had conquered death. He had done everything within his power to make us succeed. What a joy, church, to know that we're part of that type of family. That there is no power but Jesus Christ. There is no God but God the Father. That is it. And as we come together in that type of family and setting, I'm reminded what the Hebrew writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 24, when he says, For us, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. And as the body of Christ on earth, as people who live in community and out loud say we love who Jesus is, we're called to love one another in the process, to share in life together, to realize that we are the church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're called to live that kind of life because there is power in presence, is there not? You ask any grandchild when their grandparent can't make it to the baseball game or the softball game, they know when they're not in the stands. Presence matters to those that we come in touch with each and every day. I mean, several of you asked me to pray for you, which I do and am happy to do. Sometimes we talk about it over text or an email, but how much more powerful if we're standing side by side with our arms around one another, you hearing my voice, I hearing your voice. How powerful is that? See, presence makes a difference. Power in presence is what journeying together is really all about. It creates a, a lasting moment, a memorable time slot, if you will. Barna is a group that uh, studies church life all across uh, the world and certainly in America. Right now, the context is most families that would say, I'm a, I'm a believer, fully vested in this particular congregation. And then if you were to ask that family, they're there, a part of what's going on, two to two and a half times a month. Listen to what that is saying. Out of an entire month, that family believes that I really only need two to three hours of community in a month to be everything God's created me to be. That is scary to me. You and I are called to be in each other's lives daily, weekly, to interact together, to give God glory where those moments scream out to give God glory. And we are all busy. There are baseball practices and softball practices and tournaments to attend. We've got to eat and sleep sometime. There's shopping to do as well. The list goes on and on and on. But you and I have to be intentional about being in community together, do we not? We have to make the point on the calendar to be together. Early on in my young adulthood, I, I walked away from the church, and there was about a five-year window there that I didn't have anything to do with the church. And I suffered greatly because of that. I look back, and it's a moment in my life when I was very lonely, when I made poor decisions in my life. But when I finally decided that Tim's way wasn't getting me anywhere, that that lifestyle was really sending me down the tube, when I finally started reconnecting with God and the church, God blessed me in ways that I never dreamed he could bless me. 
I, I thought my life is over spiritually speaking, but God pulled me in because I'm an adopted member of his family, just like you are. We live in community together. We walk and journey together. I don't know how many times I've had a parent in my a youth group, youth minister office, asking me to help fix their 16 or 17-year-old when they themselves are just now reconnecting to the body of Christ. Don't be surprised when your children model and imitate how you live life out for God's glory. It will happen. I believe that presence matters as we worship together, as we experience the power of God together, as we live life together, presence is so incredibly important. Don't reduce your worship to a podcast. Certainly, that's a great way to be encouraged. But being together with the body of Christ, so incredibly encouraging, comforting, realizing you're not in this thing alone. We also are encouraged and remember that we share the love of Jesus with committed people in community. How, how do we do that? You've got to make a decision that you're going to surround yourself at least closely with folks who have the same goals in mind that you do, have the same desires to serve Jesus Christ as you do, that are in it for the long haul. For me personally, I've got about six guys that are a phone call away. Some of them are right here at Cross Point. Others are scattered across uh, the United States. But in any given moment, I could call on one of those guys and they give me advice or encourage me. We go out to coffee or go out to lunch. We talk about how we can be better men of God. How can I be a better husband, a better father? We ask each other to pour into the lives of our own children. We remind each other of the promises that we made God when we first started this journey, and we hold each other accountable to those moments in time. We are imperfect people, the six of us, and there are moments when we get frustrated with one another, but we will not walk away because we've made a commitment. We're in this for the long haul. You have to also make that decision and be intentional about who you surround yourself with, who is helping you on the journey. Who will encourage you in that moment of darkness? Who will help you when you struggle with that thorn in your flesh, that recurring temptation? Who's going to speak into the lives of your spouse or your kids? And you don't have to be a a pastor or a minister for this to happen in your life. You simply have to love God and love people. You simply have to say, God, I want to be the guy or the woman that you've called me to be. Help me have the courage to surround myself with a community of people who equally believe in that empty tomb, who equally believe in the power of that cross and the Holy Spirit. Believe that we're called into community to live life together. So as we close out our time, I want to reread this text again and remind us as we leave this place that we're called into community not to live isolated, Not to scurry off to our corner of the world, but that we're to be in each other's lives. The writer says in verse 42, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together 
at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. We have a system here at our congregation called Connect Groups, and it's a great way if you're looking for a way to, to find a group that you can journey with. The, the cards that describe what those groups are, are like or where they meet are right on the wall out here as you exit this, this door on this side. If you're not in one of those connect groups, a small group, I encourage you to seek that out because it's a way to get prayed for, to get prayed over, to study God's word, but to build relationship and community, to talk about the joys and the burdens sometimes that we carry as we live. And we have to remember that this is not going to happen on accident. You and I have to be intentional about getting ourselves into community, to journey with God in the world that he's given us and the people that he's surrounded us with. And you may think, man, I I never could really get that type of support in my life. But understand that with Jesus, all things are possible. With God, everything is possible. There is nothing you cannot do without the Holy Spirit in your life. We're called church to live in community. And I want to be involved in your life, and I hope that you want to be involved in mine. I hope that we can mutually encourage one another on the journey to realize that we're placed here as the family of God. And we look at Jesus' life and realize he also lived in that type of context, in community. He's always lived in community. And as we consider him breaking bread with the disciples in that upper room, that we're called to also share Jesus in multiple and different ways in our life, to journey with one another in this life. I'm going to ask Brad and the praise team to come back to the stage at this time. And our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And as we sing this song, my guess would be that there's some in this room who, who maybe you've got a barrier that's keeping you from truly realizing the community that you could be a part of. You're ashamed of something maybe that's going on in your life or you're dealing with a hardship right now. Don't hesitate. Let God take fully over your life. Get involved in community. Be encouraged on the journey. Know that the Spirit has something powerful for you to do in your life. He's just waiting for you to fully commit. Thank you for being a part of this congregation, for journeying together. Let's be intentional about being in one another's life. Let's realize that we're called to love like Jesus every single day, one with another. Let's stand and sing together.